Okay, I got a good variant, or maybe a bad variant, on a classic desert island camera question. Um, you are stuck on a desert island, or uh, forget about the desert island. You are stuck in your house, and you <laughs> did not know about this, uh, and you have to build a camera. What do you build it out of, and what do you make? Graham? Um, okay, so uh, I can tell you actually from experience of, of what I have built. Um, I talked about in the last episode the idea of, of building a uh, four by five. Uh, oh, shit. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, time notes uh, 515. Sorry, I didn't realize I had the screen share still going on. That's cool. Uh, oh, wait. Fuck. Do you want me to start again? No. Okay. I will pick it up. Um, time note. Uh, four, one, no, wait, five, one, five. Um, and two, uh, Zero six, yeah. Thanks a lot, Nick. I appreciate that. That's really great. <laughs> Zero six fifteen. Yeah. Um, well, I can I can answer that with uh, specifically uh, the camera that I did go out and build uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, our last episode, I talked about the COVID camera challenge. What do you build at home uh, with the stuff that you have? And what I took was um, at, at Christmas time, um, my wife and I gave my mother-in-law like a side table for her bedroom, you know, a little, little side table for her bed. And it was one of those ones that came packed flat and you have to build it. Um, so um, it, part of the deal was there was this MDF and it might have it was actually a little bit. Uh, higher grade than that. It was like a high density fiber board um, that was sitting between two surfaces that were um, like display surfaces. Um, so rather than have the two pieces of wood rub against each other in a shipping container all across the ocean, um, this MDF was there rubbing against them and or HDF. And um, so it was uh, I don't know, five inches. I didn't actually ever measure. It was like five, five and a half inches tall. And I ended up with three pieces that were about uh, 20 inches long. And so I took those and I built a pinhole camera, a four by 10 pinhole camera. And, um, and in fact, actually all of the materials that I used other than glue and one little retaining rectangle piece um uh it was all made out of that stuff that had come in as a packing as packing material and it's one of those things of you know when you're a camera builder you kind of see this material and you go oh i could make a camera out of that you know and then your wife eventually says you need to clear that room out and uh but i was able to hold on to this because it was small and i could squirrel it away in a in a nice flat area um i just did uh yesterday i needed to uh uh clean out the area where my 3d printer is and um 
And so it's so I could have a little bit of space in there. Um, and uh, I threw out like a, a round tin um, for a uh, Canamorph camera because I can print the Canamorph, which is more functional um and you know and and some other stuff but i i saw that material and that's what i made it out of so essentially it was glue and you can go to my um instagram uh graham homemade camera on instagram all one word and um uh you can see this build and um so it's two four by five holders kind of butted up against each other and um and i've shot both sides of two holders so i have two images and um there's a bigger gap between the holders than i wanted uh so i think i may revise it and see if i can get them a little bit closer together but um but yeah that's what i would build and that's what i did build and i think it worked pretty well uh and that's part of the deal, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, the COVID camera challenge. It's what's lying around. And and this is a camera, I really actually want to do a 4x10 that is one sheet, and, you know, it's a paper camera. You know, it's for paper negatives, uh, and it would be a one shot for paper negatives, because otherwise I have to build the negative holder and I don't know how many four by ten negative holders there are out there, uh, film holders, uh, or double dark slides, or even single dark slides. So what you're trying to tell us is that you live on a desert island already. That that's essentially what you're I saying. I live um, in semi tropical, um, very sandy conditions. Um, I do have an aquifer, though. So it's not truly a desert island, uh, and as in I have water um, to drink. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I kind of do. And, um, you know, apparently Amazon ships every once in a while to, to my island, um, and I can hold on to the packing materials. So maybe that's what the COVID camera challenge should be. It should just be packing material, so it should just be cardboard. But remember, um, the um, coronavirus can live on cardboard for 24 hours, so, so don't lick it a lot. Yeah, so here's the thing. I, I'm going to stick with your original uh, decision because then I get to build a really cool camera with all the stuff okay. I've got laying around okay. here. Well, I'm going to give you my desert island alternative. Uh, the desert island that I will be stranded on, it will be the traditional hump of sand with single palm tree, leaving only one option, the coconut camera. Uh, okay. So it's just going to be a question of figuring out how to make a pinhole in a coconut. And uh, the, You don't the only, have a block of cheese available? Uh, and then I guess I'm just going to have to, <laughs> you know, cut a hole in it and stick it on my face and look at the world through it because I don't think there's going to be any film or developing paper on my desert island so. at, at least you will have something tasty to kind of chew on as you're looking through your um your camera right. mm-hmm. so okay now play for real play for real come on what's the what what do you Nick, uh play what your are you house build? i mean your desert yeah. island is, is with right. Okay, so in that case, I get to uh, jump straight ahead to uh, continue building this 8x10 camera that I'm working on. 
<laughs> okay. Well, which think is, about a new design. Which I think already described new... last time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here's an idea. Um, the, the, the question that came to my mind was uh, the idea of a flying camera. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I've been wanting to build these underwater cameras, and I can still do that because actually where I live, I can go to the beach. Um, but... I was thinking of all the different ways you could get a camera aloft, maybe take a picture, you know, to see if anybody's going by in a boat or whatever from your desert island. Yeah. And, if, I, if, yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking of somebody. <laughs> I'm thinking of the homemade alternative. So, oh, yeah. you know, balloons, <laughs> balloons, model rockets, glider. very long stick glider, kite, uh, a bull roarer style, bow and arrow, atlatl, slingshot, parachute. So, You've got all these different ways to launch something, and then you have to have a way to get it to fire when you want it to, uh, and then you need to retrieve it after you're done. So I think kites are particularly appealing. Um, yeah. A lot of people back in the early yeah, back in the early '80s, um, I had a friend who had the Estes uh, 110 uh, camera thing that we, you could go you could send up on an Estes rocket. And, and I, uh, yeah, I, I used to shoot one of those I used to, so bad when I was a kid. Right. I used I used to shoot the rockets, but I never did have the camera. No, <laughs> yeah. we we launched it and lost it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So I had um, I, I was way big into model rocketry um, uh, when I you know uh, middle school. Yeah, what? me too. Me too. Me too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were so, fun. I, so, and I designed I designed some rockets of my own. That was what really got into. So my favorite yeah, was one yeah. we called the Tri Rock that uh-huh. had it had three body tubes and three engines. Uh, uh-huh. And on an early flight, one of the engines didn't fire, and it it went up about eight feet and then turned ninety degrees and swooshed over our heads. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Um, <laughs> the um, I, I had one um, now. When I was growing during this time, uh, we had an after school model rocketry club. Um, and uh, so uh, I looked at the all the parts that you could get out of the catalog. And um, I built one that I, it was I don't know, it's about two and a half feet tall. And, you know, it had a C, C motor. So it went pretty high uh and it was pretty it was pretty big and i and i you know the, you read the specifications of what the weight is what the parts are and what um uh parachute you should use well i did i got two of the biggest parachutes you could get two 24 inch parachutes and so i launched this thing up and it went straight up in the air and then at, you know away. i don't know 300 feet and then Flew horizontally like it was a balloon <laughs> for miles. Right. <laughs> and um, and my uh, my school was um, you know okay so they built uh, on this piece of land that the city owned they built a school they built a fire uh, a fire station and they built um, public housing and it went and there was you know it was um, a, you know essentially a neighborhood you did not go into. And so I watched it go into the public housing and I went, okay. And that was called the one and only. And so then I went and made the one and only Mark II and that had a more reasonable parachute system. (laughs) 
Uh, mm. yeah. So, so that was, uh, that was, you know, uh, just think of it, uh, floating from the Bronx to Harlem or something like that for, mm-hmm. for, uh, for Ethan. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So that's, uh, that, that would be good. So how would we make a camera that would go up? I mean, you could certainly do a pinhole. Um, well, and, I'm, I'm kind of uh, like, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. So the trouble with flying pinhole is the long exposure. Um, right. So unless, you, yeah. unless you can kind of, you know, fix something about it. Um, right. So you could do kind of a weather veiny thing where the, the, uh, the subject is also attached to the same, uh, axis as the camera. So that's well, kind of like, a right. gimbal. that's like a weighted gimbal. So it's yeah. always in one direction. Yeah, that would be or, good. Or um, we could but also, like, but also the hell with the pinhole. <laughs> Make a camera uh, that okay. can get a fairly no, 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 fast no. exposure. And no, uh, let's, let, yeah, but then you got to time it. And you got to do that. Yeah, but thing. Maybe, no, no, but no, 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 no. The explosion charge at the top of the rocket engine to fire the shutter. Yes. Oh, okay, sure, sure. That or you, or um, you could have a timer on a parachute so that it, it, you know, got a, a short glide time before it fired and was yeah, pointing down. So, so you'd basically so make like doing, a. A little <laughs> Apollo capsule that would flip I can, over. I can yeah. just see that one, Nick. Okay, but three, What about two, using the rubber one, band flip. to hold the nose clone on to trip the shutter when the nose oh. cone is ejected? There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, there, yeah, there are all sorts of things like that. Um, or, well, the pinhole thing that I was thinking of is you use a mirror. So um, you have it no, shooting out the side. And then, but you have a you have a 45-degree really small mirror that shows going down so you've got all of the um the light coming in from the um from the uh you, you know the the liftoff what am i trying to say the the rocket motor um, i think i think you've now finally reached the, t- the nadir of the uh uh what is it you call it the uh, aesthetic <laughs> curve or whatever <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, curve. yeah that's exactly it. exactly so, no, I want a lensed camera, but you were, what we're talking about, if you build a rocket one, is very lightweight. I'm actually more interested in the kite idea because you've got some modicum of control and you have a string. So there is potentially a way to set up a, a you know, a, a, an intentional triggering system. Um, so that I think that would be really an interesting option. I, I think that there are all sorts of remote control ideas um, yeah, like using, people using have had control. kite cameras for a long time. A friend of mine in college, her father also lived in Ithaca, and and he was an engineer and built kite cameras. And he just had like along the string, he had like a you know disposable Kodak camera mounted to the kite, pointed mm-hmm. in the direction he wanted. And then along the string, he had some like fishing line hoops that he ran another string to. Right. And when he wanted, he just pulled tension on the other string and it trip the shutter he took some amazing pictures of like uh all sorts of stuff of yeah. architects and landscapes yeah i think it would be a lot of fun so ethan what are you gonna do what's your your Man, idea what's so your- first i want to mention a couple things one um this is not going to be a pragmatic uh camera building episode for the most part on my part which i'm gonna i'm gonna get into nick lyle territory of the fantastical because well, I just haven't been working on cameras in the last couple of weeks. Two, I would like to note that um, how have we not talked about rocketry before? I would credit like B 
building rockets and then getting into model airplanes with most of my technical abilities and building cameras, right? Like my dad and I have had uh, two, like uh, three hobbies uh, throughout my life, maybe four. Uh-huh. Uh, first was model rocketry, then it was model airplanes, then it was building darkroom equipment, and then electronics and 3D printing. And that yeah. has really led me to here. I've kind of gone from uh, backwards as a childhood rocket engineer to now a humble camera and valve maker. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, we should. Um, yeah, absolutely. Maybe in the next episode, we'll all be the model rocket sh- episode of. Uh, I bet, uh, I bet it'll be called homemade rocket. You know, I bet um, amongst the listeners, there's a lot of people who built model rockets as kids. Right. I just I have that hunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about that some more later. But I think yeah. um, I was thinking about what camera I would build at home, mostly because I was thinking of how you could build a ventilator from homemade parts. Uh-huh. And it's maybe not really fair for me to answer what I would build in my house uh, if I could build a camera, because, you know, in about 12 hours, I could build any camera dactyl camera from, right. you know, I have 15 printers staring at me right now. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Well, well, stop. Stop it there. You can't use your printer. Right. Okay. Okay. If I can't use my printer, man, I I was thinking of going another way, uh, but also Nick's idea of the kite camera is really interesting to me, and that's something that I have been thinking about building for like 20 years now, just for fun. You know, I don't think it's going to be a Camberdactyl product, but um, I have built a lot of kites. I would that's what you that's what that's what you always say you always say it's not going to be a camera doctor product <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah and, and actually true. that the the 3d printing is per, pretty much ideal for a large format kite camera because you make something very strong and very light and yeah yeah, yeah. I mean so all of the kites that I have built uh most of the kites that I have built were you know trying to get ridiculously huge like you know pvc spars and six to nine foot wingspans with uh, either, you know, aluminized mylar or even, you know, uh, newspaper that's been paper mache And, and I think, you got to you got to oh, wear lead boots I, to fly it. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a pretty heavy guy. Uh, <laughs> I could use some more exercise in the form of kite flying. Well, it's um, also a way for you to get out of your backyard. You know, you're trapped at home, yeah, right? True. But run up the kite and you've got a whole lot more opportunities. You know, I did right. notice that I have a neighbor kid who's been flying a drone since we've all been sequestered at home. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I don't know who it is, but it's been hovering over my backyard sometimes. <laughs> so, so you need to launch um, your your little homemade Estes, um, you know, Scud missile. Uh, <laughs> no, so I actually I live one by uh, an airport and two by Kirtland Air oh. Force Base, which is the Air Force Base where they fly the nukes. And so uh, launching things into, you know, I mean, they're huge planes, 200, 300 feet above my house often. It would be very dangerous. Uh-huh. I don't want to hurt anybody, but I could fly a kite at, you know, 100 feet and that that would be fine. Um, also, Albuquerque is so flat. You know, what what else am I going to see by going up super high? I just right make everything look like a PCB. Um, so I, I'm thinking kite. I'm thinking, you know, maybe something that has a really fast trip shutter, like like a guillotine shutter or 
something like that that's maybe on a rubber band spring with uh, a fast lens like a like a I don't know um, just like a diopter meniscus lens type of deal uh, that maybe shoots a little medium format piece of paper um, I don't think I would get into like maybe maybe we would get into film advance and have like multiple cables running down the main cable and so you pull the shutter and then you pull another one to wind the film and then another one to cock the shutter but you know you could pull a kite up and down i think uh, i have i have i have i have a suggestion you could shoot uh, four by five or you know big negatives or paper whatever but what about making kind of like a disc shaped um uh, hold so that you could actually advance from one holder to the next uh, you'd have to figure out how to work the dark slide unless you know you could make the whole thing dark. Yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah. Have so you'd you have a di- Joe Van Cleve's carousel camera. Uh, that would be a, a version. But I'm thinking just a flat disc could be essentially part of the f- part of the f- uh, lift generating shape of the, of the kite. I right. I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So r- rotate a four by five in front of the, the, the uh, aperture and then fire the shutter and then rotate the next one and fire the shutter. I like that. Yeah. So so I was thinking that maybe thinking in terms of building some of a bigger camera, you could have you'd want to build it into the actual kite design. So then it becomes a search for extremely lightweight, light proof fabric or paper. So how do you light proof something, you know, thin and light that's the part of the body of a kite? Plasti dip. Um, since we've been on lockdown, and we should say we're recording this April 5th, um, how's, how is business going? Uh, I guess may you live in interesting times. So yes. the, the first week of we quarantine, that. yeah, I think I just sold a few grips. Like maybe I did a hundred bucks that week. And, you know, I was talking to uh, Jeff Perry and Simon, and like everybody who I know who 3D prints cameras were just like, yep, yeah, we're we're done for now. It'll probably pick back up. Yeah. And then, you know, this week I probably have two, $3,000 worth of cameras that I must print, which I have been ignoring to build valve parts, which is a pressing need. But really later today, I got to sit down and turn on all the printers and run them for three days to catch up. Um, it's been really wacky to me that I think the first week everybody was sort of scared at home, not shooting, not buying cameras, which is what I expected. And so I got involved in making valve parts. Um, and then like the second week, I don't know, I've sold like five to seven cameras this week, uh, a bunch really? of Bronco pan okay. files, a lot of grips, boxes. Like I, yeah, I got like three days worth of straight printing, which is weird. I think people are like just online shopping because they can't leave their house. I hope that people yeah. will get to use their cameras outside. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been good. Okay. Um, I, I will tell you, it's not been that good for the Kraken. Um, and well, by the way, don't know about it yet. oh, say it again. People don't know about uh, the Kraken yet, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, well, famous, Graham. You're just getting there. Yeah, <laughs> but this, exactly. this, this episode won't come out for a little while. Um, 
Yeah, this this comes out on the 21st of April uh, 2020. And um, so far, I've announced it on our feed. I had a little little special show. Um, I have um, uh, announced it on um, uh, Sunny 16. And um, so that is, um, you know, that's something that that um, right now, I think that that there are some people who are just kind of kind of waiting on it. Uh, still. So um, I, I have some more marketing coming out. I have a, an article on um, Impulsive that I think uh, should generate some stuff. We'll, we'll see how that, um, how that happens. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So l- let's talk a little bit of, uh, about that um, uh, with the idea. I, I think we were, kind of saving some of this for our second um you know our 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 next section but we can i think we should just kind of mix it in now that we we've started um the you know part of the deal is uh, i was just talking with uh with one of the people online um who asked about how the sales are going and this is kind of the way that i see it um if I had just made this for me, I would have been satisfied with the alpha version because I think the alpha version was, yeah, does 95% of what I wanted it to do. Um, but because we, you know, uh, because I had this idea of selling the files and um and i'm getting i'm now getting feedback from more people um you know i've made a bunch of tweaks made a bunch of adjustments um and um i put together a lens database all that type of thing and um all of all of that thing i've made a camera Really, and my my goal really was to make this for me because this is the camera I wanted. Um, and so I've made a much better machine because other people had to put it together. Other people had, to, you know, if you build something for yourself, you know, it's like, yeah. So I have to go outside every day to crank the generator. Um, this makes to me think make of my coffee it, yeah. on my camper, you know. But if if that's if that's if you're building it for um you know for consumer grade you have to have a way of starting that generator from the outside or having a battery that would do your coffee or something like that you this have to come up think with of a bunch of things which is that Laura says that all of my cars have tricks everything I own has tricks yeah. right so you want to start the van you got to pop the hood and put on the uh, the battery terminal because it has a slow short through. Uh, one yeah, of the but, junction boxes that I haven't traced and like that's not sellable but it's fine for me but you know right, that that doesn't fly in the product <laughs> it's just, it's and, so, and I take it I'll take it one step further I like to build the tricks in because right. I I, right. I don't want to build version three version four version five I want to have all the right. adjustments in version one so that I can fine-tune it without having to build a whole new yeah. version and this comes well, from this is the difference between foresight. Doing handwork with hand tools and doing, you know, advanced work with computers and, and reproducti- reproductive uh, productivity. It's that 
you you know, there's a really different approach. So like the early Leicas up through M5 were designed to be hand adjusted because right. in those days, that was how you got your highest precision, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that each one was custom tuned. And yeah. that that was the old way. And that's still the way I tend to think. Uh, and then now the new way is you've got to make a lot of different versions until you get the damn thing right, you know, um, and then you're set. Right. Yeah, um, I, I will tell, uh, I will say absolutely building it your way is, um, it takes a lot more foresight and it takes a lot of building experience to know what is going to go wrong or what can go wrong. Um, oh, so, I, I build up the what can go wrong experience pretty rapidly, so that, that's not Yeah, cool. right. So, but... Um, I just but, go with the no. guess and check method. They took away my foresight when I was a baby. <laughs> all right well like about a week after you were born yeah yeah was, i had a party was that, right. that was that was part of your probation was taking away your foresight um Something like that. so <laughs> um i wonder so what anyway. happened to mine <laughs> um so so anyway my whole point on this is um I never really wanted a camera that I had to print and send out um, because that's not the way I want to spend my time. Um, I wanted a camera that um, that I could use, you know, and uh, and then if somebody else wants to print it, that's great. Here are the files. Now, I have put a lot of effort and I put quite a bit of money into promoting this like I sent one to Graham Jago for free. I'm about to send one to Rachel, uh, Rachel Sunbeam, uh, for free. Um, and, and these are promotional things. Um, and I'm not, I mean, you know, they've certainly paid off with promotion. Um, uh, but, and I'm about to, I'm, I'm actually about to finalize and get ready to send out one that's going to travel to other podcasters. Um, and and bloggers if i can find them um so there's a, there's a, i have an investment in it that i would love to see back um but also that i i understand that this world is not the world in which i designed it um this world is a different world uh i have designed a camera for landscapes uh, and, and I'm trying to sell it to people stuck in apartments and, um, you know, it'll come good. Uh, You're just going to bank the files. You'll go away. Right. Somebody is going to pick it up on YouTube at some point and then you'll sell yes. a ton of them. No, and also, no, also absolutely. just turn the thing on its side. Just, you know, put a, put a, put a <laughs> yeah. viewfinder on one end of it. Okay. And now yeah. you can take pictures of whoever else is stuck with you or else take selfies it, or strap it yeah, to a kite. It is, <laughs> that thing would fly pretty well actually i yeah. think uh, i think it's got a very good weight to performance ratio and mm -hmm. it depends if you put on something you know like one of those little tiny old graphlex optars um you yeah. know that's a relatively lightweight small you know there's no glass weight in that because you know it's what a three element or something yeah and the uh, 135 that mine is would work pretty well from height because it's uh, right it's not too wide, although wide height, a wide angle on a, you know, a few hundred feet up on a kite would be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, right. Exactly. So um, 
So I think that, you know, and if you're printing the files, you know, you have the time in printing files, but you could send it up in the kite and the, and, you know, if it dropped, I doubt you would kill that shutter unless it dropped into sand or, or water. Um, you could but, probably pr- build a, a protective, uh, like, like a, you know, oh, those dog, like those cones, the cones you put on your dog when, when it wants to chew itself, a cone like that around the lens would probably go a long way to protecting it. Right. So we have the perfect kite cam. Uh, and another nice yeah. thing about a kite is that it, it, it can pretty easily be designed to have a consistent angle of attack, which would then allow you to aim, you know, just below the horizon or whatever you wanted your uh, panoramic view to, to encompass. It would be yes, quite a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, so that's the, um, uh, you know, th- that's the way my business is uh, is going. Um, I have uh, I have done a bit of mask um, uh, production and um, if. Uh, uh, and I, I got the files from uh, Norm from Analog NMD, uh, and he's got a um, he's got a pretty good mask, and he's got the files um, and the print settings to print this thing in about uh, three and a half hours. And uh, the advantage of this thing is it just uses about a two and a half by two and a half inch square of um of hepa filter and i'm using vacuum cleaner bags and that's something that's really nice so i i've i've printed a few of these and i'm going to send these to a to a few friends and um and see if there's i mean if there's a real serious need out there for these things uh hepa filter should theoretically um outperform a um in n95 uh, but that's the theory so yeah, um, <laughs> yeah well i i'm it, it you know what it's better than taking it in with a straw well they're um, they're, they're very much in the same ballpark and i want to yeah. comment also i've been studying this to some fairly uh large extent and there's uh a lot of masks have a, a flapper valve um that uh-huh. i use a lot of masks that i use in the shop and they are fine for being fairly protective um but they aren't so good for protecting everyone else from transmission because oh, on the exhale, exhale out comes your breath. Wow. So, I mean, they're going to, they're going to limit your range, but apparently um, aerosolized transfer is being taken more and more seriously. So the, yeah. the type of uh, mask that you're making, which doesn't let uh, a bunch of unfiltered air out when you exhale is a good design. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, I like the look of yours, uh, and I also yeah. wanted to comment. The other thing that happens with masks is that the nose fit is extremely important, not just because I have a gigantic nose, but but because um, otherwise you tend to have air forced out around the nose area, and that steams up your glasses or goggles, and you can't see very well. So for people who are working wearing a mask like this, um, yeah, I, really I paying also- attention to the fit around the nose is important, and making that pretty flexible and generous i would recommend i i will say this is difficult with glasses um because it kind of, it comes up into that area where the glasses are mm-hmm. um if i put it on right now my glasses are riding glasses are riding on that nose piece um so but i've uh, i've worn mine out, out and about and uh and it's it's worked fairly well 
Yeah, so if you can work uh, work out a design which can handle a good sized nose and glasses, uh, there's a ton of people who would want that. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay, Long okay. I'm going to stop you guys for a second. Okay. Uh, it's not worthwhile designing more masks. The NIH has a website of approved 3D printable PPE that they have tested and things that are pending. Before you go okay. spending a week designing, just see if it's on there. And I bet okay. it's. Okay. I don't want okay. this. I don't want I, this mask now. I want this mask when this is over because no mask fits my face right, and I wear them day in and day out in the fabrication shop. So, well, I'm really looking for for the future because I don't. I doubt many of these are are going to fit a lot of people's faces okay. the way you want them to. <laughs> okay, so uh, thank you, Ethan. I did not know about this. Um, the website is 3dprint.nih.gov, 3dprint.nih.gov. And, um, yeah, there's tons of stuff out there. I didn't know about these. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm going to look a little bit more. Um, I think that's where uh, one of your masks is from. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I, I think it the basic idea. I don't see the exact one, um, but yeah. Okay, so 3dprint.nih.gov. Uh, I'll put it in the notes um, for this uh, episode. Um, and there's also, uh, actually, there's a little bit more after that. 3dprint.nih.gov slash discover slash PPE personal protective equipment um just check the link and, in the show notes yeah just check the link in the show notes and we'll we'll get that there thank you ethan for for letting me know about that um because i didn't um so yeah um so anyway let's talk about something else having to do with the kraken so as many of you remember uh, and many of you actually um, uh, entered. I said I was going to give away one of the early prototypes. In fact, I said it was going to be the alpha. And then I decided, uh, hey, I'll do one of the early beta versions. Um, and so um, I, now is the time. It was through April 1st that you, that you had to... Um, uh, make your um, uh, make your application, and I'm uh, guys. I'm going to turn on my screen sharing so our audio quality may be a little bit low. Um, but I'm turning on my screen sharing so you guys can audit my giveaway. So let me tell you what I have. Um, I have a spreadsheet of first of all, we're going to give away the Kraken. And then we're going to talk about the uh, the five um, sets of Holga masks or, uh, that I different kinds of masks. Uh, <laughs> Holga mask. That would be interesting. Make a mask out of a Holga. There's your challenge, right? Make a PPE mask out of a. Okay, so. Uh, was that too soon, so, guys? No. So do I? Do, does that mean I have to paint emulsion on my face? Yes, absolutely. You have to 3D print right onto your face. Um, okay. So um, there are seven people who applied 
for the um, uh, for the Holga masks. I'm giving away five, so you have a really good idea, a really good chance. Um, the uh, Kraken, there are ten people, um, and so I am going to. At this point, set my random um, number generator from one to ten. Is that actually eleven people? No, it'd be zero to ten. Would be eleven people. So, are you guys ready? Are you auditing me? Are you witnessing this? Yes. Yeah? Yes. yes. Okay. So I put it in, and I am generating. And number seven, Matt Oswald. <laughs> what? You see five. There we go. Okay, Matt Oswald, you are the winner of the um, uh, the Kraken, and you probably actually already know because I've contacted you with uh, asking what you, what uh, um, ends you want and what you want, uh, you know, and where to send it and all that type of stuff. So, congratulations, Matt Oswald, you are the winner. Get Kraken. So, Get, yeah, exactly. You, you're getting a Kraken. So now um, I have the seven applicants or the seven entrants for the Holga masks in uh, spots 20 through 27. So I am going to generate the first one. So that is number 21, Dale Willits. Dale, Dale I think you already have Holga masks. I think you already have Olga Mask. But anyway, uh, winner one. There we go. So now what I'm doing is I'm going to cut him out of that list. I'm going to put him in the winners and I'm going to paste him down below. And now 20 is empty. So I'm going to delete our 21 is empty. So now it is going to be um 20 through 20 through 26 20 through 26 let's see number two is number 23 dave walker who was our guest last week thank you dave um so we are yes thank yeah absolutely so dave the walker is the next one so i've removed him i've deleted now it's 20 through 25 so I'm going to generate the next one. Um, and it is number 20, Dave Grote. Dave Grote. We've got a lot of Daves here. Our winner. So Dave Grote. And I'm going to cut and paste him into the winner category. Uh, where is it? Paste. There we go. Okay. Now I have to delete that cell. 20 through 24. And my... There we go. It is generating number 22, Francois Leverdier. I'm sure I butchered your name. Yeah, there we go. Number four was Francois Leverdier. And um, so, um, and this will um, uh, make up for the horrible season the Habs have had. Um, okay. So we are now 20 through 23. I'm going to generate. And it's number 22, Maxime Turquoise. Um, so, and that is um, the, 
the winner and I'm going to delete that cell. And you know what? Um, Neil Piper, Ken Tuomi and Nicholas uh, Cazales. Um, I'm sorry. You know what the hell? I'll give you guys. Um, uh, I've got Holga masks for you guys as well. So um, and it was actually eight, eight people. So I'm going to give out uh, eight. Um, so I am going to copy that and we're going to paste them in. So that was the giveaway. Now, it wasn't, um, you know, the pick that hat, pick out of that hat, whatever. You know what I'm saying, guys. He's trying to say his hat is only a virtual hat. It's a virtual hat. So, uh, so anyway, um, I'm going to get in touch with each one of the folks who is one of the winners and I will, uh, get in touch with you guys. Um, and, uh, and we'll go from there. One of the things that I did, what I do have in my list of things that we need to, uh, talk about with the Kraken is I do have a code, uh, for everybody for, uh, 15% off uh, the Kraken. So anybody who wants to do that, it is release the Kraken 15. And I'll put that in uh, the show notes. So uh, you can go to uh, frozenphoton.com and follow the link there of where to buy. And uh, that'll take you to my Etsy shop. And you can do uh, use release the Kraken 15. That'll give you 15% off. I think that's through the end of April. Um, so release the Kraken 15. Um, so I'll put that in the show notes so everybody has it. So um, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, congratulations to the winners of the Holga Masks and to Matt Oswald, the winner of... Uh, of the Kraken. Yo, yo, Nick, what have you been doing? What have you been doing lately? Well, I've been <clears throat> hiding at home and finishing up some uh, actual paying work, doing design, um, building, a, designing a studio that I hope to build when this disease goes away or re- recedes a little bit um, as a paying job. So I can work from home finishing that. Um, and at the same time, I'm sort of, uh, you know, working on the place. I mean, I have the advantage of having a lot of space and work, working space and tools and things around. So there's always plenty to do, even if I'm stuck at home. Uh, that's one great advantage of uh, having your own home business is that nothing changes except that it's hard to actually do any work without a client and, a, you know, out in the real world. But that's my that's my home work, home life at the moment. And it is opening up more time to, uh, for the first time in a year, really get started on uh, some camera building and some photography that I just have had to put off. The last year was so hectic. There's a funny thing happening. I've been self-employed for most of the last 41 years. 
And I realized that if this money ever comes from the federal government, that will be my first ever paid vacation. Unfortunately, I'm required to stay home during my paid vacation. <laughs> but, you know, that's some that's sort of a, a silver lining, I guess, you know, in a way. And yeah, then, you gotta, yeah, you got to get a government job like I have. I have um, I, I have uh, it's second week in May till the second week in August, usually. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, um, pay, but, you know, pay, on the pay, other pay. hand, I can have an unpaid vacation whenever I want. So there's that. You, you have a point. Yeah. So I meanwhile, mean, we all mm, depends. <laughs> depends on your job. You know, if you. If you work, say, as a prison guard, (laughs) it's all about whether or not you want to return to your job, because you can always take this job and I'll see you later. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So but meanwhile, um, I do I do find I cleaned everything in my in my office and found a whole bunch of, uh, you know, projects and unscanned negatives and things like that. So there's that's something I've been doing. I've been uh, going through some a bunch of uh, film that I put through a, a homunculus down in Tucson in early winter and uh, just had developed not that long ago. So I'm <clears throat> I'm having kind of fun going back and looking at all these photos I took back when I was traveling still. And, and so that's kind of a great advantage of film in a way is that um, I have uh, I have all these ex- sort of backed up experiences that I can go uh, relive and and spend some time with and and that's fun yeah that i've uh one thing i found is a bunch of rolls of uh, portrait that i shot in the desert in bright sun and overexposed and so it's sort of the first time i've ever got that fashionable really pastel-y bleached out overcooked uh portrait look and that's kind of was uh was that um one of the roles that had that picture of the barrel cactus that I saw. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and that looked great. I think it was very suited to uh, the sort of desert pastels in Tucson. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, it was fun to see that. And that's partly because, um, I don't know, maybe that camera has a slightly slow shutter. That particular lens has a slightly slow shutter. But it was also just so bright there, you know, that it, it was just easy to overexpose. And it's kind of fun. I'm, I like the way this came out. So uh, that's it. I'm, you know, building it. What about eight, camera? Eight, building an eight what by ten camera. camera. Related? Yeah, and I'm yeah. doing it. I'm doing a. Uh, I've got developed um, <clears throat> full-sized, uh, detailed pencil drawings. Uh, you know, mechanical draw, drafting of all the parts to build the the back, the rear standard and film uh, holder, all that part of the camera. So I'm I'm getting close to building that and. I'm thinking about setting up um, maybe a building a little router table as a really good solution to making precision parts is that I have a lot of carpentry tools that can come close but aren't really precision. But if you use those to rough out all your blanks and then fine trim them Mm -hmm. to precise size using a router table, uh, you can get Mm -hmm. any kind of precision. And I have a thickness planer. So if I need it, you know, to change the thickness of of a part to fine tune uh, focus or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. That's e- easy to do. You know, so I can do non-standard and metric and all that because I can uh, plane to my own my own dimension. And uh, well, that that sounded kind of exciting, actually. Plane to your own dimension. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so 
so so maybe getting some of that uh up and running so there are a lot of unpaid things that i've been really looking forward to doing that i may be able to fit in over the next few weeks and that's exciting and then here on my island uh, we're still we're still seeing increasing numbers of uh viral you know disease and so forth but washington state as a whole has flattened our curve very substantially by starting our uh you know self-isolation quite a bit earlier than most of the rest of the country and it it feels really good to see the the numbers flattening out um our governor just sent more than 400 respirators back into the national uh stockpile because he doesn't think we're going to need them right away so things are looking pretty good in my part of the world um that's that's good news good good absolutely um ethan what if you uh what what have you been doing lately, both uh, photographically and and in life? We've heard about yeah. the uh, the respirator project, ventilator, ventilator. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to pull a real Andre Dominguez on you and talk oh, about God, pocket watches, watches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and pens. No, um, so I really haven't been doing anything photographic aside from you know printing orders and I have to run the printers around the clock for the next three days to fill the orders that I've been kind of uh, neglecting that have been building up from Camerdactyl, although people are, you know, very, uh, they, they know it's just me, right? They, they're understanding. Um, so I think last time I was talking about printing valves, um, I had been looking at a lot of the uh, uh, crowdsource projects for building ventilators and most of the American teams were large, like to the tune of 2,000 engineers, and uh, kind of laughed me out of the room when I said, you know, we, we should not be only building uh, digital, uh, digital logic ventilators, right? Because by the time you can get the precursor components for building uh, an Arduino ventilator with uh, solenoid valves and such so can mm -hmm. GE and they'll just make GE ventilators and Philips ventilators right um, yeah. and so you know people thought this was a crazy idea like you you need sterile and and rightfully so you know it is not by the book um, to pump a ventilator with a, a grandfather clock mechanism it's not by the book to use 3d printed materials uh, in sterilizable medical supplies and 2019 Ethan would not, I mean, it's so much easier to use electronics and programs to do things that you could do mechanically. And we talked about this a little bit um, with uh, Matt Beckberger from Raveni Labs about building light meters, right? Like he uh, bit the bullet and actually um, built a digital solution, which was much simpler and better and smaller and more accurate. And like, there's nothing worse about it. Right. He actually sent me mm -hmm. some pics of sending, um, some of those light meters off to a testing lab the other day. Um, so anyway, I thought I am a programmer, but I'm not a super fast programmer and I am not going to add much to the logic of these American programs. And I think where I was two weeks ago when we talked was I was just going to build physical components that people could swap in when they couldn't find um, off-the-shelf digital components or, or electro-pneumatic components like solenoid valves. So <clears throat> I think I maybe had made three valves last time we talked. 
and I was feeling pretty discouraged. Like all that, all that I saw happen from it was, you know, I would make a valve, open the source code, uh, make a YouTube video about how it works, what it's supposed to do, where it might fit in a system, and then uh, drop that YouTube video in the engineering groups. And the only response I saw was, you know, a spike in my YouTube uh, subscribers and and you know hours watched. But like, I'm not. I mean, I don't think that that's going to help me sell cameras, and I'm not like monetizing YouTube. And I was, I was pretty like, I don't know if I'm just playing in the sandbox here. And then maybe a week, week and a half ago, I got a message from this guy, Washington, in Buenos Aires, who said, um, I'm working on this ventilator with a group of engineers. Um, we're using almost all of your valves. You know, can you help us? And so pretty much since then, um, I get up and get on a call at 7 in the morning every day, uh, and I talk to a bunch of Brazilians, a bunch of Argentinians, uh, one guy in Mumbai, one guy in the Netherlands, and one guy in uh, Germany somewhere, I don't know, on the internet. Um, and there's, you know, eight to 12 sort of core members. Um, they instinctively knew, particularly in Brazil, that you can't just snap your fingers and have an Arduino. Although um, we did get to talk to one of the founders of Arduino about this, uh, which was, you know, another interesting Ooh. part of the last couple of weeks. But um, they adopted my system architecture. They replaced some of the valves that I had replaced in my system architecture um, for better valves or just tubes in, in liquid. Um, and over the last week, we have built two ventilators that are outside of Sao Paulo right now pumping away. Um, I have built maybe six or seven different types of valves. I've replaced all sort of digital logic with uh, analog pneumatic logic. So you could think of like um, in a car transmission, a modern automatic transmission is really just a, um, a manual transmission with a computer speed uh, sensor on the motor. And then when the motor is spinning uh, at a certain speed that's too high, it you know pushes one solenoid valve to disengage the clutch and pushes another solenoid uh, not valve shifter, uh, solenoid uh, actuator to shift the transmission and then it releases the clutch, right? Um, mm -hmm. This is how I would build things today, um, but how I would build things if I were, let's say, Amish or um, in 1870 or even in my 1995 uh, Ford van, the way it works is like there's no computer necessarily that knows the speed of the engine. There's a tube that goes from the intake manifold to a vacuum actuator that shifts gears in the transmission. And so when the motor's spinning faster, it happens to be sucking more air, which creates more of a Venturi vacuum on that tube, and it shifts automatically. And so I've been working on systems like this where um, the speeds and cycles and pressures within tubing control uh, routing logic within within the ventilator. And so I have this thing on my desk. Uh, you can't see it now, but maybe by the time this, uh, this podcast is out, there'll be some videos. It's a four-way diverter valve, which has uh, two check valves and a diverter plate uh, in it. And so, um, you know, it has one port to a patient and one port to exhaust, one port to a pump, and then another 
port that is a check valve that bypasses the pump. And basically what that does is when the pump is pumping air, it seals the exhale uh, port so that you don't wind up pumping air from the pump into the exhaust port, but into the patient. And then when the pump is filling, it seals the pump valve so the patient only exhausts through the exhale. And then there's this uh, autonomic inhale bypass that I thought was very clever. It's just a check valve built into the housing so that if on the exhale stroke, when when the patient's supposed to be exhaling, if he does something like uh, has an autonomic response like a yawn, um, he can bypass the pump and breathe uh, mixed air and oxygen. Anyway, um, it's medium clever. Uh, it's totally not by the book. Um, within the next couple of days, I've been working on sort of, um, you know, patent language, although it won't be patented, it'll be open source, but, um, you know, technical language and diagrams and renderings of system architecture and individual parts so that, you know, anybody with uh, a modicum of technical experience can read and understand how the system works. And then I've been working on sort of uh, assembly documentation by you know, making renderings and screen grabs of different pieces and how they go together, much like a Lego manual. And I think um, maybe this week um, I will build one of these here and make some videos about how it works to go along with the documentation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a online list of um, – crowdsourced and open source ventilator projects of which there may be 60 groups working worldwide. Um, and there's a ranking system, uh, openventilator.io is the team that I'm working with. Um, they have, you know, a rank of, I think fifth or sixth right now, uh, but we're the only people on the list that are not using digital logic, which means that if you can't get an Arduino or if you can't get a solenoid valve, we're the only one you could build. Um, and I think when I release the the documentation, we might be like number one in the rankings, although it'll certainly have issues with it. And certainly if you can buy electronic components, you should build that one instead of this one. Um, but, you know, at this point, we're trying to get people to build them for testing in engineering labs, in medical research labs and in animal testing facilities, not necessarily as uh, ventilators of last resort yet, but um, at some point, you know, the, the magic of the internet is you put something out and you open all of the source documents and then people take the ball and they run with it. And, um, I think it will be validated in the next couple of weeks. I don't know by who, you know, maybe the Brazilian military, uh, or maybe by some lab that is, you know, interested in working on something like this. And we just happen to have the best documentation right now, you know, and then, I'm sure, you know, we've gotten it to the point where it functions as we hope it should function, but also, you know, you really should keep a pig alive on it for a couple of days, at least, if not weeks, before you start building it for humans, and we just, you know, I'm not an anesthetist, I don't own a pig, um, <laughs> none of the engineers on the, t the team can, and so, you know, it's kind of like... Um, this scary moment where we put it out into the world and we uh, let Jesus take the wheel, if you will, and see who picks it up and what they make out of it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited and terrified and 
yeah, that's what I've been up to. So that's well, pretty much know, how mo- most people feel at the moment. And I wanted to say, Ethan, I know you want uh, you were looking for proofreaders, and I would like to get a shot at it. I was raised by editors and can usually find my way through technical language pretty well. So why don't you sure. send your your uh, okay? Text. So I have I have actually already had three mechanical engineers and uh, biomedical engineer read just for clarity in my description of the system, and um, I think that. That part is done. I'd be happy to send you the doc um, as it is right now. I think you'd get a kick out of it. And, you know, my I like my attempt at using patent language in a way that anyone can understand, even if they don't read patents. Um, but, yeah, that, yeah, that is so far. I'm, I'm past that point. But, um, yeah, I'll send it to you after the podcast. <laughs> you can chuckle. All right. So um, uh, I've been contributing um to this thing by hoarding toilet paper mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah okay so it got a little a few more chuckles this time around uh, <laughs> as opposed to last time around um yeah I, I you know i certainly can't follow up uh on that level of work i i'm one of those people who is lucky enough that my job um uh, you know i uh, i'm a community college professor um i you know my job is easily transferable online and particularly my subject graphic design and web design is easily transferable online so i have been doing that um i also taught for 12 years online at the art institutes and um uh and so i have experience with with that type of thing um we are um we're going through a transition and i think this is going to work very well for some of my students i think it's going to be moderately successful some for some other ones and you know then there are going to be some for whom this is a very difficult way to to do it uh one of the things that i have done and this is one of the suggestions i have for people who find themselves in a different world um and is is structure put as much structure in as possible like i meet live with my students at the exact same time that we normally would in the classes um uh and it meets for as you know for the same amount of time um you know the i i try to make it as normal as possible uh i'm not all right changing but what i really or anything like that i think that makes a lot of sense but i mean are you taking it all the way or are you wearing pants i i am wearing shorts so i do have the lower extremity of my body um moderate uh, you know modestly covered uh but yeah no i've got the newscaster thing going on i did iron a bunch of shirts uh to wear but i'm you know like i'm wearing some army green um you know shorts i'll walk the dog and then i'll uh well take a shower but you know so so they're kind of a little bit more loungewear uh kind of thing so so it's only moderately uh, exactly yeah the mullet exactly sort of interesting and maybe um related to not only camera building just but building and learning anything in general is that 
Um, I got a very fancy college degree. It cost way too much money, and I learned very little. And a lot of that is on me. Sure, Trump. Oh, never uh, mind. Sorry. You know, <laughs> I think uh, most of the important things that I know, like, have been from YouTube University, which is free. And I think this yeah. is going to be kind of a shift where when people see that they're paying 30 grand a year to learn online and that MIT yeah. has put out open courseware for free on YouTube, I think finally um, we might see a decrease in, you know, the student loan and college cost bubble. And yeah. a lot of things uh, like uh, how, people might just say like, sorry, we're, we're learning this for free on YouTube. Um, information wants to be free. And I think, right. For better or worse, it's, it's going to hurt some people and help some people. But, man, I'm I'm excited about the rest of the world learning to learn technical things on YouTube in, in the same way that, you know, has changed yeah. so much. So, so, so I, I'm going to I'm going to say well, no, that. Hang on a second, Nick. Hang on uh, a second, Nick. Hey, I Because I, I want to rebut that because uh -huh. I have been I have been saying that exact same thing for the last uh, seven or eight years. But here is what is different for, from being in the college classroom. Uh, YouTube will teach you how to do anything. But in the college classroom, I teach you what to do and why to do it. And that's a different set of skills. And it is much more based on, um, uh, uh, you know, specifically in the in the design world. I think that that is a very important thing that you don't get from YouTube being a, a one directional, a unidirectional communication. Um, however, um, I don't I, I have zero books that I assign to my students. Um, I all the how to I uh, assign through videos or, or other web resources uh, for that type of thing. So uh, I agree with you to a certain extent. But the other half of it is there's a lot to learn based on the other, um, you know, the, the other two pillars of what an education is, uh, what to and why to. So uh, so I'll agree with it. And Nick, I, I apologize for uh, for cutting you off there. But um, if you know what you're trying to do, YouTube is the most wonderful thing in the world. If you don't know what you're trying to do, YouTube can confuse that. But Jesus, Audi. So um, yeah, and I I wanted to throw in that I had the really old school liberal arts education with small classes and and really very good instruction. And there's absolutely no question that that took me in a completely different direction than would have happened if I had been, you know, left to my own devices, pursuing things, chasing things around the internet. That's a fantastic tool. It completely does not replace old-fashioned liberal arts education. There's just no way. And what you're saying makes partial sense because I totally dislike much of our educational system from beginning to end, and it, it definitely needs a complete <laughs> revamping, no question about it. But there's still going to be an important place for uh, human beings working together, do surprising each other, I interacting as a social unit instead yeah, of that just, place is called discord now no it's not <laughs> it just isn't <laughs> it might work for some kinds of pursuit you know i think for especially for very technical things that's great 
you know, but there's a whole yeah. other, there are whole other realms of learning that I think are still better done in the analog world and, uh, and big parts of the planet that still needs that, uh, yeah. as well. I, uh, I think the Socratic method still holds for a lot of fields and, um, yeah, you're right. That is on discord to a certain extent, but you also, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's, I, especially I, if when you yeah. say Socratic method, what springs to mind is fencing. OK, you can't learn to fence by watching somebody do it in the movies. You have to be doing it with that's right. A real opponent. To, you, know, <laughs> you can't right. you know, you can't learn to debate really well by watching other people debate, debate each other. You need to do it. And so I, I think right. that there's room for both things. Yeah. Um, but but Ethan, I fully agree with you that um, specifically technical instruction, how to it, the play it, it is by far. In fact, I I have a joke. Um, I, I have a joke with my students. I said, you know, if you run into a problem with, you know, how to apply this, um, you know, you should go to YouTube. It's a really cool place. I don't know if you've ever been there. <laughs> um, and. And that that is um, uh, so I use it all the time. uh, So but um, there are other things, other things that I think get left out that YouTube is not good for. Uh, But I I think it's just like it's it's not one. It's not just YouTube. It's also like video conferencing. And then also like I don't know if, if you guys have seen MIT's open courseware, but. Um, MIT has been making this push to put pretty much all of their courses online for free. My, my big problem with Cornell is I felt like it was way more certification than education and where the education happened was usually out of books or in study groups with my friends, which could have been on discord, uh, where the certification happened was like taking tests in the classroom, which could have been on YouTube, um, yeah, and so just, like I'm very resentful of it, and I don't want to be one of yeah. these guys who's like, I don't, I didn't learn nothing in no college. I learned everything from YouTube. But like to be yeah. honest, I I really feel like that. I really feel like I had. I mean, the best thing that happened to me in college is I met some really smart people, and I met some really rich people, uh, uh-huh. neither of which I had been <laughs> exposed to in that sort of quantity. Now, previously. now you're starting to dip into what I'm talking about. But I think it also depends on the person. So it, it just yeah. happens that both of my parents went to Cornell. Uh, my mom was 16 when she was enrolled, and it just didn't work out very well for her. She found herself sleeping through classes because the, yep. the subjects she was interested in had very dull instruction. On the other hand, my dad was there at the same time, and he was a little older than her because he'd been in the war, and he had a really, really great experience. And, you know... You know, he had Vladimir Nabokov teaching writing and he was wanted to be a writer. So it kind of depends on, you know, somewhat the luck of the draw and who you are and what age you are. And, you know, it it can go so many different ways. And I think that would apply to online learning as well. You know, it just depends on what your needs are and who you are and and that sort of thing. And I I think it's a really powerful tool, but I'd hate to see uh, (laughs) ordinary one-on-one kind of communication between human beings completely go away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, and part of that is we're talking about structure and people 
different people learn in different ways. And if you could um, get that uh, study group together with the discipline to all view that same YouTube video and with uh, an, an expert voice to come in and critique and guide, then yes, I, as I said, I think that that is an incredible, incredible opportunity. And, and really, to my industry, it is an incredible threat. So we have to concentrate on that which we can give that is, diff, that is not available for free on YouTube. And that's the, one of the reasons why I concentrate on the, on the what to and why to. And, um, you know, and and challenging people to um, to look at what they've done and to modify and to to analyze what they've done. You know, I I'll put it give a great example. I put together a set of files for um, for the Kraken um, with the idea that, um, you know, just set your your um your slicer on relatively automatic and and run you know um and run it and you're going to be fine and a bunch of people have turned off um the supports uh, um on on their slicers and to me just click support where you should and to me i that, that's something that i don't even think of so um these People that have uh, have taken to printing this um, have suggested uh, one in particular has suggested that I just put an S on the file that needs supports. Oh, That's like I something did. that I didn't think of. It, so that type of feedback system is you just you need that group of feedback and you need to be challenged. And but because that, can, that can work really well online. I think. Um, yeah, I think. I think that right. what I'm really um, looking at yes, is right. I'm yeah. really looking at what what, for instance, what Ethan referred to talking about the social things he did get out of it. He met people he wouldn't have met otherwise. And right. that's very much my experience. My entire life would have gone in a completely different direction and maybe for the better. Who knows? But the fact that I was thrown in with a very particular group of people and the people I connected with drew me into uh, areas of of interest in you know intellectual exploration and art and so forth that I never would have gone to on my own and and that's partly because I grew up very isolated and uh and I learned to pursue my own interests on my own by myself from a very early age so that part was already there even without an internet you know I used books uh-huh. books and magazines in those days but that's the same idea it's just a little more victorian but what right. happens when you're thrown into a, a social group that's a, just a social group where you are stuck in the same room together, you have to cook together, you have to be together, instead of being able to just click away and go off somewhere else, is that you you become immersed in unfamiliar things that you wouldn't otherwise maybe even take the time for. And that can and, be very enriching experience. And not only that, but that group, that you're talking about when you're put into that group, hopefully, hopefully you are put into a group with somebody who does work that you could only dream about doing so that then you can study what they do. You can study 
Um, and you can, you can challenge yourself to, to get to that level. Um, it, it's really horrible being the person who is just like leading that group um, because you don't get yeah. that challenge. You know, yeah. so it, that's the problem so with you teaching. <laughs> You've you got to find those people who are higher on the level or higher on the rung. And hopefully that's what that teacher does to um, in that teacher situation, identifies those students who are way out in front and pushes them to get better because they're not going to be pushed from behind. Right. Um, right. So they're basically doing their excellent work. So teaching your job boils down to, to bribing people who know a lot to, to spend a lot of time with ignorant people. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's called cooperative learning. And, and there are probably a thousand books that are written on it. So now I'm going to. Now, I would also uh, okay. I would also like to just throw out that I do think our traditional educational system has huge problems as well. Um, and the idea oh, yeah. that that you're supposed to be spoon fed, you know, a bunch of stuff from a bunch of older people. There's also a problem with that, which is that yes. it's, a, it's a thing. There's academic lag. So it, you you are yeah. basically there is benefits to being uh, immersed in generation old information and thinking uh -huh. processes. And there's also defects with that because you can be you can be kind of yeah. you know fossilized stuck in the past and so there's however there is good and I bad to that so it should I think it should definitely be a part of the experience but you alternatives to it are also really a good idea i i think that that's good though to be um confronted with the uh old people who are crotchety because then you you are confronted by the rules and you have to then figure out what rules are valid and why they're valid and then break the rules that aren't valid. And then you think that through. Um, so that well, it's you all, so, yeah, it sort of depends. It sort of depends. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was in I was in school before there was a lot of computing going on. Uh, one of my friends was a physics major and he didn't bother to go to any of his computer lectures and he scored 100 percent on all the tests because he was so far ahead of the teachers at that point and it pissed them off and they, they failed him because he refused to bother going to their lectures. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's, so there's, it can cut both ways. Sometimes you're just yeah. wasting your time. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. and that it, is a it depends. failure of the teachers to challenge him. And right. that is one of the most important things that you can do is identify the people who are not challenged and challenge them. And um, and that's one of the key things that I uh, I see in my uh, in my role. Can we can we move on in my in my what I've been doing? Would that be OK with you guys? <laughs> yeah. Now that Back we've settled second. education and and Ethan, just I'm going to uh, I'll, I'll have the last word. You're just wrong. Um, OK. So, <laughs> um, no, what no, is, we're both right. One of the right. things. One of the things that I've found is, um, okay, so what my, I live an hour and a half from campus. I have an hour's worth of office hours before I start my class um, when I work on campus. So I had two and a half hours plus my breakfast time, plus my shower time um, in the morning um, the with the idea of I was getting my mind ready to get into that classroom. Um, I've only been doing this for a week, but it's 
it is a much shorter ramp that I have now. I'm sleeping better. I'm sleeping longer. You know, I get sleep, but I don't have that getting into the mind frame um, thing that I used to do on my commute. And and I find that a little bit challenging. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll settle in. It's just a, a, a complete difference uh, for me. Um, so it's, you know, uh, so that's, that part of it. Um, can't you just go sit in the car out in the yard for like half an hour and, you know, Oh, 90 minutes. Um, yeah, I'll just sit there and idle it for 90 minutes. No, no, you don't run the motor for Christ's sake. Oh, (laughs) but, but then I'll run the battery down listening to, uh, you know, uh, classic lenses um, or future photography or one of the other morning shows. So, that so I that's, how, that's how you prepare for, your, for teaching? You, you listen to podcasts? I listen to podcasts on my way. Yeah. Or books. Grant just listens to Eye of the Tiger on loop for an hour and a half every morning. <laughs> and I, and I, have, I have one of those self-driving cars because I have my uh, sunroof open. And I have my arms up in in the rocky pose as I'm driving, uh, listening to Eye of the Tiger. Uh, it's that's, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, OK, so uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've been doing photographically. Um, I talked about the covid camera challenge that we did. and I'm going to return to that in a second. But one of the things that I I have found a huge reduction in my desire to pick up a camera uh, because I'm seeing the same landscape and I'm lucky that I have a large landscape to roam um, versus a lot of people that just have a small apartment to roam in. Um, And uh, so um, uh, I took out um, last week, I I started thinking about my cameras and I, I thought, well, what do I want to shoot that I haven't shot in a long time? Because I've been shooting the, the Kraken almost exclusively. And so I pulled out my Bronica ECTL, which is, you know, a, a Hasselblad copy. And um, although I think it works a lot better than a Hasselblad. Um, but the uh, so I took that out and um, uh, and I did some shooting with that. And I. And I think that that's actually a really good way to to kind of work your mojo, uh, get your mojo back, um, um, because then you're thinking again. You're thinking you, you don't have to completely learn a new camera, but you can really work the, um, uh, you know, uh, you can think about what the process is again. Uh, because if you use one camera too much, it, it it just goes to the background. You know, the operation of the camera is all background, which is good when you're out composing in normal situations. Um, but that's the um, uh, that's kind of my my tip. Uh, go grab a camera you haven't shot in a while and and familiarize yourself with it again and um, and work through that. Uh, and if yeah, you I, don't have a camera you haven't shot in a while um well the kraken's on sale you can buy and print and build one of those 
Yeah, so. so so I have a few cameras that I've been waiting for the time to do that with, and I think it's uh-huh. it's it's great advice if you've got uh, if you've got somewhere to go and take pictures, then it's, yeah, it's a good time to do it. The, the whole sense of time is shifting um, in a good in a good way for probably a lot of people who are used to a completely different routine, um, and uh, you can you know it's a chance to try something different with your, yeah. your daily routines, which is good too, you know, and. And I just want to re- reiterate the COVID camera challenge, and that is build a camera for, with crap you have on hand. I was thinking, actually, we should do the um, the Amazon camera challenge, which is build it out of Amazon boxes. Um, yeah, but remember, you know, let them sit somewhere, does, not does in their rain. You can absolutely... A, ca- a cardboard box tight camera is a great idea. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm gonna do that. Oh, yeah. Of course, I'm surrounded by 45, 50 foot trees, but and power lines. So maybe, um, maybe I'll do the COVID camera slash Ben Franklin challenge. Um, or maybe, maybe a really long stick is all you need, you know, just like yes. the, ul- the ultimate selfie stick where you can just shoot your bald spot from like 40 feet straight up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I know a lot of real estate photographers used to use long sticks before drones uh, came out. Anybody have a book? Uh, anybody have anything that you want to send us to? Anybody have a YouTube video you want to send us to? Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in open source ventilators and crowdsourced ventilators, check out openventilator.io. Okay. Um, uh, Nick, do you have a book or anything, any resource you want to send people to? Uh, I actually don't have a new book to suggest this week, uh, okay. so I'll pass on that. Okay, that sounds good. Um, uh, I don't have any of those resources at all um, either. Uh, Ethan, um, any anybody to shout out to? Any hollas? And Ethan's on mute. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I was on I, actually, I, was I, I have something. I'm just uh, tracking yeah. it down. Um, okay. Ethan, what do you have? I got nothing. nothing. You got nothing. Well, here's here's what I'm going to do for a shout out. Uh, and Ethan is going to be included in this. I'm going to shout out to, to everybody who is out there, who is using their skills in a way that they did not previously use their skills to make the world um, just a little bit better. It doesn't have to be a lot better, a little bit better for for people around them, um, either for financial gain or for free. Um, anybody who's done that, um, uh, you know, in any way, I think that, that, that that's great. Um, 
uh, it kind of makes me, um, uh, you know, remember that uh, we got to this point of civilization by standing on the backs of giants and um, those giants, um, uh, you know, gave us a great foundation. So, uh, Nick, do you have any shout outs? Yeah, so I wanted to uh, shout out to Pete Punkett, who's been posting pictures on uh, the Homemade Camera Podcast Facebook group of a uh, a camera he's building, which is a really elegant, I, I, I want to say steampunk, except it's too streamlined and elegant. You know, it doesn't have extraneous boogers on it the way a steampunk thing would. Um, but it's a, it's a Mamiya Press camera, and it's very interesting and very ingenious. Uh, it's a fixed register distance different fixed register distance camera because it takes bayonet mount lenses but he's built it with two plates that can be adjusted closer and farther apart by tiny increments with bellows between them and this is a kind of i think a kind of brilliant way to make a lightweight camera that you can fine tune to perfection after you've built it the exact kind of old school way of doing things that i like uh, and I, it's a great, it's a really simple camera. It takes uh, Mamiya Press backs, Mamiya Press lenses, and then in between there's just these two brass angles connected by bellows and then a, a classic tripod mount uh, hand grip jutting off to the side, which unfortunately is on the right side, but that's easily correctable. And <laughs> anyhow, it, it's a beautiful and very uh, appealing design to me, and I, I'm inspired by it. I'm glad to see it showing up. We've had a lot of people joining the Homemade Punk Camera Podcast Facebook group recently and putting up all sorts of interesting cameras. Uh, it's it's that that group is turning into a really uh, active and interesting place to go see stuff. Maybe partly because so many people are at home. All right. Um, so I. Uh... We get a hold of Ethan, Ethan at Cameradactyl, Nick, Nick at HomemadeCamera.com, Graham at HomemadeCamera.com. Um, by the way, last night on Backing Paper, um, uh, I was very happy to hear that Rachel uh, told Graham that nobody else spelled it, our name the way he spells it. So uh, everybody else spells it the correct way, the way I spell it. So I was very happy to hear that. So it is so G-R-A-H-A-M at homemadecamera.com. Proud to be what was that? Proud to be I am, yeah. I am proud to be in the majority and the right thinking um, group of people named Graham in the world. That is a so, very Florida attitude. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm... Man, I am about to spit the right um, uh, the right thinking. Um, so anyway, um, I, I, can we all agree on this? Thanks, Robbie uh, from uh, Robbie Cribs of Soundtrap Studios for allowing us to use the music that we use throughout this show. Uh, can you agree with me on that? Thanks, Robbie. Yeah, yeah thanks, Robbie. Okay, that's nice, Ethan. I'm glad you're you're on board with that. 